0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org. So when I was in sixth grade, the youth praise band at my church needed a drummer. The members in the band at the time were Tiffany. She led on Stand Up Keyboard and occasionally the Egg Shaker. Chris... Uh, Someone in my grade was on the electric guitar and Chris had a knack for turning every praise song into a Metallica cover (laughs) But he was devoted and then there was Zach on bass Zach was actually a phenomenal bass player Zach if you're listening. I'm still sorry that I pretended to play your bass and broke it (laughs) true story Uh, my sister Uh, who would occasionally do backup vocals and choreography for the band, Uh, waves of mercy, waves of grace, right? Um, She told the leader one day that her little brother played drums and that he could fill in, which was kind of true. Uh, I had a drum set at home, but having a drum set and knowing how to play drums are two very different things. Uh, but I practiced hard that week. I, I spent hours learning better as one day, and I could only imagine, and every move I make, I learned all these complicated drum parts. And then Wednesday night came and I played, and it was a disaster. I had no clue what I was doing, and I was humiliated in front of my peers, but I did not let this public humiliation stop me. I kept practicing. I would play the next week and the week after that and all the way through middle school and through high school and into college. And along the way, I grew into a drummer that is nowhere close to being a professional. That would be John Mark, our worship leader, a professional drummer. Nowhere close to being a professional, but... I can at least play along with the band without causing everyone to constantly wince in pain, you know? If that's if you think that's not true, just don't tell me. It would destroy my illustration. Um, many of you have had the same experiences with an instrument, uh, a sport, a hobby, or a skill. You You became the musician, the athlete, the cook, the carpenter, or the driver, that you are today not through instantaneous knowledge. It didn't just happen. It happened through years of devoted practice. That's why it's hard to answer the question, when did you learn to read or ride a bike or speak a foreign language or cook delicious meals because it didn't happen overnight. It didn't just happen after you listened to a lecture or read a book. It happened because you devoted yourself to a set of seemingly routine practices day in and day out, and that formed you into the person you are today. The reality is that the daily practices that we devote ourselves to will shape the person that we become. The daily practices that we devote ourselves to will shape the person that we become. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, then you know that we're in the middle of a series called Rooted. Our goal has been to see why it is that we do everything that we do as shades. What's it all rooted in? What's what's the purpose of it all? And at bottom, we've said that everything we do is rooted in this purpose. Glorifying God by loving him, loving others, and making disciples among all peoples. And we've seen that if we're really going to be rooted in this purpose, and not our own purposes, then we must remain centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remain centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and everything we do. Um, That's what this mark that you are starting to see everywhere is about. If you look at the mark, you can see the outline of a tree. And in the middle, you can see a cross. I I point to it with a laser, but Jonathan didn't trust me with it. He didn't give me the laser pointer for this week. Um, But I think you can see it. Um, Because this mark is meant to remind us how we're going to stay rooted in our purpose. How? By being gospel-centered. By remaining centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? Right? And everything that we do at SVCC to remain centered on the gospel could essentially be put under one of these four headings. Worship, service, community, and mission. Worship, service, community, and mission. The first week, Jonathan preached about worship, and we saw how our uh, corporate worship together keeps us gospel-centered. Uh, Last week, we saw how using our unique gifts to serve one another centers us on the gospel service. But for this week, we're going to see how belonging to one another in community centers us on the gospel. More specifically, we're going to look at the practices you and I must devote ourselves to if we are going to be a community whose purpose is not our own glory, but the glory of God. We're going to look at the practices that we must devote ourselves to if we're going to be a community that's gospel-centered, not just in word, uh, not just in a banner on our website, but in our community, in our daily life together. Because remember, remember, The reality is the practices that you and I devote ourselves to will determine the people, the community that we become. The practices that we devote ourselves to as a community will shape how we view one another, how we talk to one another, how we belong and interact with one another, how we live as a community. And this brings us to the text, that we will be in today, Acts two forty-two through forty-seven. Acts two forty-two through forty-seven. Um, if if I asked you to take out a sheet of paper right now and summarize the communal life of Shades Valley in four statements, what would you say? Uh, what essential activities could adequately sum up our life as a community? Well, this is what Luke does, I think, in Acts 2.42. He summarizes the life, the culture, of the early Christian community that formed from an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at at Pentecost. And he describes this community by um, listing four essential activities that we see in verse 42. Read it with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, th- these practices describe their large gatherings that they would have had in the temple with a lot of people, right? their corporate worship. Uh, but it also describes their life as they met together in smaller groups, which they would do. They would gather in smaller groups in homes. And so since Jonathan has already preached on our corporate time of worship, today I want us together to wrestle with how we can be a church that devotes ourselves to these practices that we see in Acts 2.42. These practices, how can we devote ourselves to them in our groups, in all our groups, and in our life together as a body outside of Sunday morning? All right. How can we devote ourselves to these practices in our groups, in our life, outside of Sunday morning? All right, well, let's look at these one by one. First, devotion to the teaching of the apostles. Devotion to the teaching of the apostles. Now, here's a community filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no denying that. Yet, it is a community that is not only filled with the the Holy Spirit, but it's a community that's not anti-intellectual. It's a community that's filled with the Spirit of truth. It's it's a community that is eager to learn and, and to grow, sitting at the feet of the apostles. Now, the elders at SVCC Jonathan, Ed, myself, John Mark, we don't claim to be apostles, right? Although that would look pretty good on a business card. And I wouldn't mind being referred to Apostle Brown, all right? But laying that aside, right, we, we don't claim to be apostles. Um, but we profess that the apostolic teaching that we need for faith and obedience has been preserved in the New Testament. When we look at the New Testament, we see there these apostles, these early authority figures sent by Jesus are proclaiming his death and resurrection as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures. And and you can just look throughout Acts at several sermons to see that this was their teaching. So, shades for, for us to be a community who devotes ourselves to the apostles teaching uh, to be a community who's who's characterized by submission to the apostles teaching it is to be a community that submits itself to the triune god who has revealed himself and reveals himself to us by the holy spirit in the scriptures it's to be a community who are creatures of the word, creatures of the word, because we believe that there we will meet God, and He will reveal His will to us. And in, in all churches, there can exist a divide between what I will call stated belief and functional theology—a divide between stated belief in functional theology. What am I saying? Well, stated belief is what a church professes and believes on paper. And when you go to the website, it'd be under the what we believe, right? That's stated belief. Um, but functional theology, uh, functional theology points to everything that the church does in its life. Uh, what you see when you look at, at the church's day-in and day-out life. A a theologian by the name of Todd Billings puts it this way. When church members, when a community decides where they're going to invest their energies, whether into a service project, a series of potluck dinners, or a Bible study, all of these decisions that we're making are theological decisions. All of these decisions reflect their functional theology of who God is, what the world is like, and how they are supposed to live and respond in obedience to God. All right. And when I look at my own life, I can see a tendency for me to have an extremely high view of the scriptures and my stated belief. But in my day-to-day if you look at it, it can reveal a functional theology that tells a different story. And Maybe I'm not alone. This gap between a high-stated belief of the Scriptures and a low-functional theology of the Scriptures can, can be for a variety of different reasons I've seen in my own life. In our personal lives, it can be because of apathy. It can be because reading and engaging the Scriptures doesn't always bring the immediate results that we want. It can be because of intimidation. We don't know how to start, or where we would start, or how to even begin to study the Scriptures. In our groups, we may not engage the Scriptures because of what we see as failed attempts in the past to do so. It didn't work. (laughs) The The group fell apart. Or maybe there's no clear path of how we're to do it well moving forward. Or or maybe we think that there are just more practical and interesting things that we should be talking about, right? But, but nonetheless, I want us to meditate on and reflect on the reality that if we are to be a community that's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then shades, we must be a community that's centered on the Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but in our life as a whole, in our life as a whole. Jonathan has said the scriptures are a communal book, Um, It's to be read in the midst of a spirit filled people on a journey of communion with the triune God in Jesus Christ. Um, I was talking to uh, one of our community group leaders, Liz Kolakowski, and she said this about her group study that centers around the scriptures. She said, There is something incredibly impactful about reading scripture with a group of people with different backgrounds and experiences. You learn more. You see more of God's character. Become more aware of your own sin and biases. You experience God's promises and truth take root in each other's lives and watch your community deepen and develop as you enter together into a place of exploration, wonder, and awe of the living God. Liz, that's pretty good. We're probably going to put that on the website, and we're not going to give you credit, okay? She describes the possibility of what happens when a people who have committed themselves to Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, open the Word of God. And the possibilities are absolutely breathtaking. They're absolutely breathtaking. But this reading, this reading of Scripture, um... It's like drumming. It doesn't just happen instantly. Um, This rich study in groups doesn't just happen instantly. It's something that we have to commit ourselves to. It's something that, may I say, we have to practice together. But it's an important practice because what we daily practice will shape who we become. And if we are to be a gospel-centered community, shades not just in word, but in deed, then we must be a community centered on the word on the word all right let's keep moving by looking at the second practice that this community devoted themselves to the second practice practice is a devotion to the fellowship to the fellowship now i don't know what image pops into your mind when you hear fellowship uh, for me, my Baptist upbringing has led me to think about Wednesday night supper in the fellowship hall. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't a wrong idea of fellowship, right? It's not. But, but when Luke says fellowship, he's not just talking about hanging out. And I, I think that's important for us to see. Um, he's referring to a close bond that the community has. Um, He's speaking about a deep communion that the early believers experienced that came from sacrificially and joyfully sharing in all of life together. In in all of life. Um, This community had shared purpose, shared experiences of the Spirit, shared meals, shared prayers, um, and even, shocking to our modern ears, uh, shared possessions. Now, I don't think that the cry of the early church was one God, one Lord, one bank account, right? I, I don't think that's what's going on here, but, but what you see is believers in this community looking at the possessions that they have and the possessions that they had and they saw that weren't necessary for their livelihood, that they sold and they took the money and then they would bring it and set it before the apostles' feet, right? And they would use that money to meet the needs of the community around them. For, for this early group of believers, the needs of each other in the community took center stage and were, were prominent. Here we see a people that have deep friendship, that have a deep communion with one another, but it's because they have devoted themselves to sacrificially serving one another no matter what the cost even if that means giving up some of my possessions, right? A deep love for one another. Um, Now, I wanna be clear before I start this next illustration. I I love a good romantic comedy, all right? I I do, I love a good rom-com, okay? Um, I, I do, just as much as the next person. But, all right, hear me in light of that. Uh, But I do believe that they tell us a lie. They tell us that true love and intimacy, the the real love that lasts and brings joy, is rooted in attraction and chemistry. Um, they, they, They tell us that real love is a search that you have to go on and you have to find this perfect soulmate. And if you can find this mythical, perfect soulmate, then you'll have true love, right? But if you didn't find the right person, then true love is not going to happen, right? And you're never going to experience that, and you'll be miserable, right? I think that's the message that's being told, right? Um, Well, I believe that in our culture... uh, we can be prone to have a rom-com view or a rom-com approach to finding a church or finding a community group in a church, all right? Um, The rom-com approach says if you're really going to love this community, then you need to make sure that in the church courting process or the church shopping process that you find the perfect church. You need to find your church soulmate, Right? And if you can find your church soulmate, then you will really experience love. Um, with this approach, it can be easy to never commit anywhere. Because in this process of finding the perfect church or group, you discover that no matter where you go, there are flaws. There are imperfections. And these inevitable flaws may cause you to doubt whether or not you could commit yourself To such a place or such a people. One well-known symptom of the rom-com approach is FOMO. I love what's happening in the room right now. Half of you are like, yeah, FOMO, and half of you are like, FOMO? (laughs) FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm a youth minister, I know these things. Um, This FOMO fear uh, tells you that if you commit at some place, then you could possibly miss out on something better that could come along. And so at the end, it becomes better just not to commit anywhere, but to leave your options open. Um, This rom-com approach to church makes it easy to have a buffet approach. Um, you go to blank for the preaching, but then you go to blank for the children's ministry, but then you got to go to blank because it has amazing worship, but then you also got to go to blank because the people there are super cool. <laughs> but then also, blank has really great serving teams, and so I'm, I'm there too. All right. uh, my fear with this approach is that you will never experience the beautiful, real love and the close relationships that comes from committing to and sacrificially serving a people that can drive you crazy can drive you crazy but nonetheless you've committed yourself to sacrificial service i'll never forget my father talking about my mother one day a few years ago. They're here this morning. Dad, it's good, I promise. He said, even after all these years of marriage, I didn't know I was capable of loving someone this much. It's pretty good. I've used it. <laughs> I didn't know I was capable of loving somebody this much. That's good. Come on. Right? Right? Why could he say that? Because real love and intimacy, the kind of love that we long for as humanity, grows not in the field of attraction, grows not in the field of intimacy, but it grows in the field of sacrificial service and commitment. It is in that field that real love grows. And the Christian that is able to say, I didn't think I was capable of loving a church this much, is the Christian who has committed themselves to a group of people that can drive them absolutely crazy. The Christian who has committed themselves to sacrificial service. And and Shades, when we devote ourselves to this kind of love, to this kind of fellowship, it centers our groups in our life on the gospel. We love and serve one another even when we don't like one another because Christ loved and served us when we were his enemies. And it is only by his power and his example that we could even begin to love somebody else in that way. He has committed himself to us. He has committed himself to our good despite the frustrations that we bring and our faults and are failures and so we know that such love and commitment for one of another can only be done out of his power and such love and service for one another points the world to Jesus Christ which takes us to our third point it takes us to our third devotion of the community they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread To the breaking of bread. It seems that part of the disciples sharing possessions included common meals at the expense of those who could afford the food. The early Christians met in homes and shared a meal. It also seems like this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. At this time in the church, the Lord's Supper would have most likely been part of a larger communal meal that they would eat together. Um, And I want to point out here the social significance of breaking bread together. Um, The social significance of this common meal cannot be overstated. In the early church, the dinner table was the place where social barriers and divisions were torn down. Actually, one of the earliest documents that we have that speaks about Christians outside of the New Testament is a letter from... A governor named Pliny the Younger, and he's writing to Emperor Trajan. And this would be about a hundred years after the community in Acts 2. And and Pliny, it's such an interesting letter, you can Google it and read it, he's he's coming across Christians really for the first time. And he's writing the emperor asking, how am I supposed to deal with these people? Uh, How do I get rid of these people, essentially? How do I prosecute these people. And after some investigation and in trying to uncover the evil that these Christians were doing in their gathering, uh, this is what he finds. Listen to this. He says, The sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath when this was over it was their custom to depart and then assemble again to partake of food sound familiar uh, they're meeting each or they're meeting on a fixed day before dawn because they didn't have sundays off and so they would gather together and then they would go out into their work and then they would gather back together at the end of the day and they would have a meal and this is probably where the lord's supper would have been done. So Pliny wants to investigate more because he knows these Christians are a threat to the common good of society. Uh, they're not worshiping the Roman gods and they're not making sacrifices. And so this is an economic hit on the society uh, because they're not buying animals. So it's hurting people's pockets. These Christians are not good for Rome. All right. And so he does more investigations. And so he says, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was. And listen to this. By torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. Two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. What he probably means by that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he closes the letter to the emperor by saying... Uh, Emperor, the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes, are and will be endangered. (laughs) A.K.A. nobody is safe from these Christians. Their community is made up of people from different races, from different socioeconomic standings of different sexes, and they're all coming together. Nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. Shades, when we gather around tables with those different from us in this community, we declare that we are united not by political movement, socioeconomic level, shared interest, or life stage, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I may not have much in common, But we have christ and therefore you and i have much in common and when we all come to the table and sit on the same level when we eat meals with one another when we commune in groups with one another and build one another up and listen to one another and share life with one another we could we uh, proclaim to the world that our unity is not in the things of this world but is in jesus christ it's in jesus christ Um, some churches connect people in groups based on common interests, right? This is the basketball group. And I get it. And I'm not necessarily against that. Hear me. But I think my caution would be that in the midst of that approach to community, right, let's be careful that we don't set our church up to miss the joy of belonging to those who are totally different from us. In the midst of the approach to community that says, let me find somebody like me and join it, right? Which isn't necessarily bad. Let's be careful that we don't miss the joy of belonging to people who are totally different from us. Because that fellowship with those that we would normally have nothing to do with reveals to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. This practice of fellowship, practice with one another based upon our unity in Christ centers us on the gospel and his reconciling work. May we be shades of people of unity and diversity. Of unity in diversity. All right. Finally, the last practice that they devoted themselves to We see that they devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. Uh, Here, when uh, Luke says prayers in the text, it it seems that there's a reference to private prayers and corporate prayers, but there seems to be an emphasis on praying together in groups. The practice of prayer in groups. And throughout the book of Acts... Um, We see the church continually gathering together to pray. Issues come up. Things come up in the community. And what is their response? It's to gather together, right, and to pray, to pray. Um, Later on in high school, I was still a part of the youth praise band, right? My horrific performance had not kicked me out. Um, And there was a new member that I could not stand. You know the type of person I'm talking about. The type of person that no matter what they do, it annoys you. Well, that was this guy. For me. And so I decided I'm going to go to the youth minister and filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask him, can you kick this guy out of the band? (laughs) And, And so I went and After a pretty impressive list of complaints, might I say, um, my youth minister responded by saying, Brad, have you been praying for him? And I said, no, why would I do that? (laughs) And he said, Brad, I'd challenge you to commit to pray for him for each day for the next month. And I was shocked. (laughs) And I got up as a high schooler, I walked out of the office, and I thought to myself, that did not go as planned. <laughs> that did not go as planned. But my youth minister knew something about prayer. My youth minister knew the shaping effect that prayer has on a community. He knew that prayer for one another brings us to a place of intercession for one another. Coming before God, lifting one another up, even with those that we find frustrating or difficult. One theologian said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Right. And not to sound like a broken record, but praying for one another, whether it's corporally or individually, does not come naturally. Naturally. It's a practice that we must commit ourselves to, but it's a practice that has a massive shaping effect on who we become as a community, as a community. My hope would be that in some sense, all of our groups at Shades Valley could be considered prayer groups in some sense of the word, that we would be characterized as a praying people, for one another. All right, let's read the last two verses of the text this morning and see what it tells us about being a gospel-centered community. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what's the picture here? Well, it's, it's a community who in their very being is faced outward towards others. It's an outward-facing community. And, and the beautiful, breathtaking picture here is that as this community devoted itself day in and day out to these gospel-centering practices. Its presence and its witness were infectious. Their communal life was a visible witness to their word. And as they went out into the world, and as they brought people into the community, God was at work doing amazing things, bringing people to faith. They were an outward-facing community, inviting all to come in, Join in the fellowship. Come and see, taste the goodness of Jesus Christ and the unity that we have in him. All are welcome, no matter your background or what you look like or how you talk, no matter how old you are, you're welcome. Come. Come, not just to attend an event, but come and belong. That is their community. There, there can be in our churches a functional theology that says, we finally got a good crew, we finally got things the way that we want, so no more. Okay? We would never say that, but sometimes our lives can speak that. Um, the community who's turned inward is a community that becomes a social club, or becomes a fraternity, right? or becomes a... Um, a country club, right? No, they're a community that exists for themselves and not the glory of Jesus Christ. But Shades Valley, that would would be crazy for us to do that because we're a community whose life is hidden in Christ. We're a community that has been sent by Jesus Christ just as the Father sent him into the world to declare the beauty and the riches of the new life in the kingdom of God. The new life in the kingdom of God. We are to be an outward-facing people in our groups, in our gatherings, in our communal life. In our communal life. I just want to close with this. Um, All of our lives are busy in their own way. Right? They are. Some of you have insanely busy lives. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> but I think we could agree that at the end of the day, we devote ourselves, we devote our time to what we value most. Um, our communal life together as a community reveals our functional theology. Right? Our time together, what we do when we gather Right? reveals what you and I value, what we think about God and how he's asked us to live. Some of us may want to be a skilled musician, a woodworker, a cook, a gardener, a writer. And if we're going to become that, then we're going to have to devote ourselves to practices, practices that can be difficult, practices that can be boring. And at times we're going to think nothing is happening. Nonetheless, these practices will shape us into the person that we want to come. So Shades Valley, may we be a community who is shaped by devotion to the word of God, who is shaped by sacrificial commitment to one another, who is shaped by unity and diversity, who is shaped by faithful prayer, a people who have committed ourselves to these Things, right? We acknowledge that we cannot do any of this in and of our own power. It's all of God's grace, but nonetheless, we pray God empower us to do so. God empower us to commit ourselves To one another. Empower us to commit ourselves to these practices. And in all these things that we do, may our hearts not grow cold or hard, but may they grow in love and affection for Jesus Christ. And may Birmingham, America, and the world see it as we live together as a body. Now, Lord, empower your people to live and to their true identity as your community, your community, your people, a foretaste of the eternal age to come. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.